from Tom Tech and Lo-Fi Arts, this is Story Hacker with an XR at the end. Exploring the art of emerging technologies. Visit tomtechblog.com. Hello and welcome to episode six of Story Hacker. It's got an XR at the end. Has an XR at the end. <laughs> I'm James. That's like a brand of car, like XR would be the turbocharged one, the yeah, sports the penis extension one. Yeah. yeah, I know. Anyway, sorry. So I'm James. And I'm Christopher, and together we form. <laughs> Get up with this show. <laughs> uh, this week we've got two interviews for you for the first time. First, you'll hear James interviewing Myra Appener. She's the writer of Reflected, which was an augmented reality experience in Southwark. So James travelled up to the cut in South London to interview her and she also previously uh, wrote one of London's biggest ever immersive experiences, Somni. Huge. You'll hear that first and afterwards I spoke to Sarah Tico who's working in the field of mental health. She's working to develop a pretty innovative diagnostic and treatment tool that works in VR that helps people figure out what their mental health situation is. Her company's called Hatsumi VR, and uh, she'll talk to me about that. I interviewed her at the Fusebox. Two great people to hear from this week. Yeah. So Myra's a writer, and what's really interesting about her is that she worked on Somni to try and piece together narrative structures across a huge immersive uh, show, which is partly live and partly had VR and immersive uh, technologies in it. Anyway, here's my interview with Myra. Here's James speaking to Myra. Hello Myra. Hello. How are you doing? Thank you for spending some time with us. Before we start this interview, I should explain where we are. <laughs> um, there's quite a lot of screaming going on in the background, if you can hear. Uh, these are actors rehearsing. We're at a place called Platform Southwark. And the building is multi-use and the Young Vic <laughs> are rehearsing their next show here. Apparently lots of death scenes. So yeah, we'll I... see how that goes, but that's a job for Chris to edit out eventually. <laughs> I'm sure it's okay. So Myra, lovely to see you again, this time in London. You were with us a couple of weeks ago for Theatre XR, our training course, supporting theatre makers to use Unity and immersive tech to yep. try and get them into that world. Um, and the reason we had you on that, and the reason we're here now to talk to you, is your impressive ability as a writer to tackle these mediums and keep the relationship with an audience. So I want to talk to you a bit about that. Before we do that, we should just talk about the show I've just seen, which is called Reflected. It's a wonderful piece. It's, it's AR-based or augmented reality-based. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about the inception and your work on it? Yeah, um, so the brief was to bring the history of Southwark to life and obviously history can feel dry and a certain type of history um, and a certain story is always told and for me that's a massive opportunity to tell history in a different way um, not just through the medium that you tell it but the actual story that's told so it's bringing together um, those two worlds to create something that's for the people of Southwark um, and when I was researching it, it was so interesting. It's such a powerful history of protest and uniting people across uh, class. And I found out some amazing things. And I just thought, I wonder if local people will actually know this stuff. It's a wonderful piece of local history told through performance. And you could have presented this as a history tour and you could go around and at one point we go to a church with some beautiful stained glass yeah. windows, which is, uh, focuses on working class people who lived in the area over the last sort of 100 years, grown up through last century. Um, 
but it wasn't that it was a live performance that you were guided around and you had that as part of it yeah. so um, can we, it'd be great to talk to you about how you approach that from that point of view so yeah I mean my uh, approach I'm really interested in blurring the lines between reality and unreality that's a word um, and to do that with technology is really exciting and interesting now if you're looking at VR and AR and playing with the ideas of what you see in front of your eyes and being a product of how your brain perceived the world or what's being thrown up by technology but also the story itself um, so the idea of history being these stories that are chosen by people in power would you even know if you um, encountered a story that was completely false or had its roots in a true story but was something else? Uh, and so if you're playing with all of those things, do you get an exciting kind of palette of uh, interesting characters and a storyline that kind of brings people together and tells a completely different version of events. Well, this is a story about powerful women uh, and d super intelligent women who <laughs> yeah. changed the course of our world over the last hundred years. It's yeah. really nice to hear their stories and see them throughout the piece. I first saw your work with Somni, which was oh, at a yes. slightly different end of a scale to this project. Yeah. And it's a big VR and immersive installation, which takes place in Farringdon. There's been a real big hit of the London culture scene in the last yeah. 12 months. Now that is one huge project and yeah. an undertaking, so take as a writer. Yeah. Um, it'd be great to talk to you about and try and unpick what is the process for that and how do you retain <laughs> creative control and yeah. uh, use your skills and tool set as a writer to put through? I mean, it was an incredible process and as with these new kind of forms of storytelling, which is what's really exciting, is nobody knows what they're doing. So uh, everyone had different ideas about how you start a piece like this. So just to give you a bit of background, it's a layered reality experience. So you have um, audio, visual, um, scent, uh, kinesthetic effects like breeze and vibration, and technology is just one part of that. Um, and it's to try, the aim is to try and create something that puts people in the moment. You, the term, I guess, that's thrown around a lot is immersive. <laughs> um, as much as possible. And being able to have all those tools is amazing. And so the idea was that it would be this kind of modular experience. So you started with like a really strong original concept about this uh, AI that's transcended man and becomes spiritual matter. <laughs> and that felt like it, you could world build around that and character build and then um, possibly create a narrative, but that was always on the back burner. And then suddenly we realized we needed a lot more support for the technology also to fill in the gaps um, as an audience member which is something really important about writing like this is like you say don't submit a full script at all <laughs> you know you're constantly presenting ideas you're constantly adapting around uh, the technology and the audio and the sound we had 17 different partners on that project um, there were so many talented people involved it was amazing and I guess my role became being a sort of creative director and story guardian because when you've got that many people working on something moment to moment beat by beat you have to understand 
what the scene objective is or what the character objective is. And how do you make it with sing with one voice? Isn't it? It's <laughs> yeah, incredible. absolutely. And with those sort of projects, and the criticism quite often those sort of site-specific mm. projects is yeah. you go into a room or a space and something happens and it feels very live and something's happening mm. and then you drop your state of engagement down to a two while you get shuffled down the corridor and then, yeah. put else and then brought back up again in the next room. Yeah. And how do you connect those? Somni didn't have that, so you'd mm. worked quite well on the connecting part. So yeah. how? Because it's a huge operation, um, and the way I structured it was 10 minute scenes and two minute hold rooms because it was run off a QLab system. And the dream would have been press go and it just runs, <laughs> not the reality. Um, there needs to be buffer time in between. But the whole idea was to make those individual two minute scenes, not uh, rather buffer um, times, not feel like hold rooms at all. So then we worked with like great actors and a brilliant cast to um, workshop those scenes and create narrative links in between and hopefully it felt like one experience rather than start, stop, start to stop. Yeah, I got lost. Great. Oh, great, amazing. We talk about a term that's not really used in theatre, UX, user experience, which is used a lot in uh, digital tech and Mm. uh, you think about it if you're making a game or if you're making a website or something like that, about how you engage. We don't have the terminology quite right about how we talk about audiences, but that fits absolutely perfect in that model. Yeah, it's very interesting because it's not about, as a writer, the story that you want to tell. It is in many ways coming up with a strong concept and character, but all the time you're thinking about how the audience is experiencing the moment. And when you're thinking about all of the senses that they're going through, so every time there's a kind of key turning point in the script, for example, you're thinking, does the sound change? Does the lighting change? Does the, what happens in this environment, because it's a 360 environment, in the real world, but also in your headset. So you, you treat the whole thing as this really complex kind of palette that you play with dial up bits and dial down other bits. For more info, visit tomtechblog.com. This all sounds like uh, very interesting as a paper exercise, as a theory. <laughs> what, you know, as a writer and as a personality and as Myra, how do you tackle that with the team when you've got 17 partners? I can't imagine the numbers of people working <laughs> yeah. on it. And how do you, do you run around with a megaphone shouting at people? How, how do you I maintain the, <laughs> the discipline of, around yeah. the, the uh, care for story? How, yeah. how does that come together? What skills does that need that maybe you wouldn't find in regular um, jobs? So my background's actually in media and I'm used to working with so many different partners and people and it's a massive patience thing as well. So a lot of the people you work with won't understand narrative and they won't understand the actor's process as well as, for example, the actor's not understanding the technology um, process or the creative technologist's process. And you have to, I use story to bring everyone together in a way. So if you can kind of sell that idea and like get people really excited about your idea, then they want to um, create that world with you. So everyone feels like they're just building this really exciting place that audience members are going to be, (laughs) essentially. The relationship between where the story writers sit within other organisations, in theatre and the arts, we, we yeah. hold them as our, the top of our hierarchy. <laughs> They're not always the top in other sectors. So if you look at games design, quite often the narrative writers way behind the ludology and the, the sort of yeah. game set. 
luckily in some ways that's not my experience because um, my writing is always and my goal has always been to create stories in a different way so I've done lots of things outside of traditional theatre spaces and outside of hierarchical kind of top-down structures or conservative environments um, and I think it's really important to do that and it helps create uh, stories for people that don't normally go into those spaces anyway. Uh, so I've never had the luxury of uh, people um, putting me on a pedestal, maybe one day. Uh, <laughs> but it's not just a pedestal, it's about how maintaining one voice, isn't it? It's yeah, like how do yeah, you, you yeah. know, from your audience perspective, they don't want to hear 17 partners talking, they <laughs> want to hear one voice. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and I think that is communicating your core idea and your character and, I mean, it did actually come down to a lot of detail. So I think there was um, a pulled back approach to, you know, let's do things in a modular way and the technology takes centre stage. but. As the story grew and um, my role grew and grew, it became a very visual, audio, sensory, owning kind of all of those aspects of it um, in a way of not owning it, but being the kind of guardian for it. Yeah. So allowing everyone to have lots of ideas and become excited about it and bring their special, uh, their specialist skills and their expertise to it um, and allowing them to feel free in that space but then kind of, you know, being the guardian of it. Gently mould. <laughs> yeah, gently <laughs> mould. Around, yeah. around the idea. Yeah. Well, it was a huge success, and we hope to see it back in the yeah. city, if not somewhere else around the world very yeah. soon, I'm sure. <laughs> There's a lot more of this kind of work coming. It seems much more popular now. So if a writer came up to you and asked for some advice or taking on a big project, what might you share from your wisdom of your experience with Somni and other projects? I'd say think about, about who's on your team. So you might be working with creative technologists who have a really visual concept or they're very visual people and they might have a not as strong as a narrative understanding. You might be working with games people who have a really strong background in branching storylines and scenarios. Uh, you might be working with um, business people who are funding projects and don't really understand the ins and outs of the whole theatre or art sector. Um, there's going to be a complete breadth of people depending on the size of the project. And I think just being really open and preempting is kind of doing a lot of background work for them. So you kind of have to be over prepared in a way and give them the detail when they need it and be able to judge that. So uh, if someone wants to create a VR scene, they might go off with their strong visual and their idea of the medium and that's brilliant. Um, but in order for them to be able to do that and for it to be a, fit into the whole experience, they need to fully understand the story. And that might be as simple as explaining it to someone that you know, it's very okay with theatre or film, but it might be much more difficult and you've kind of got to be prepared for that. I think that's something that's come up a lot with all of this work and these interviews yeah. and the people we meet is the sort of breakdown of mm. um, silos and hierarchies. You end yeah. up working with people that you just wouldn't normally work yeah. with in a, in a rehearsal space or a theatre yeah. space in production. So one of the things I did was create like really visual storyboards of the story. That was for some people. And then I created um, like narrative arc um, sort of diagrams almost of the story. I've had a sneak peek at this. These are really <laughs> yeah. impressive spreadsheets and documents. Um, but it's kind of a place where 
it, you're printing it out, you're putting it massive on a wall. Some people just don't want to look at things like that. But if it's in front of them and they don't know what they're creating in minute six of the scene, they can just look at this one point and at minute six they can understand all the layers of senses and light and actor uh, in one moment. And that having that reference point isn't where you start, that's kind of where you get to. Uh, so, that's so it's quite collaborative in, that, yeah. in the process. Yeah, um, but someone's got to write it down. <laughs> yeah, someone's got to Someone's got to write it down, yeah. So, we should talk about what you're up to now, next, what's coming up. Where's the, yeah, what's moving? <laughs> well, I uh, wrote a short film quite a few years ago and uh, a few years later it was made and this year it's been on the festival circuit and we were at Sundance and a few other great festivals so it's really amazing and it's just had a great impact and audience reactions have been so intense and polarised and which is great when you're making a piece of work and we've got a few production companies involved um, who are interested in making it into a TV series, uh, so I'm really interested in the kind of long-form narrative um, and building out these characters. And you're a nomadic artist, <laughs> and that you travel this. I think it's kind of really, it's really interesting. And the people that I value and sort of rate the best in this world are people who can, at one moment, direct a piece of theatre, another mm. one work in games dev, yeah. and then work across in TV and broadcast. Yeah. All mediums have their own yeah. unique approaches to it. Yeah. But, um, what do you think that makes you not want to stay in one box and sort of spread your wings and try different mediums out like that? What's driving you forward? It's just exciting. I think it's there's so much happening um, and there's so many ways of engaging um, people in stories that it's a shame to kind of stick to one. Although maybe I'm wrong because you might master it better if you do. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just interesting to try out new things. I guess there is a strong part of it all is that I'm really interested in characters so how can characters live across all those different types of storytelling is really cool. The idea of like world building and character mm. building seems to take more in this sort of work and when you're asking the audience to invest more in it which might be a series that's a 10 hour series and yeah. you've got a lot more time to build up as yeah. well or something like we've just experienced here with a, mm. a walking AR and audio tour or with the work you've done with Somni. Does that take more of a precedent over driven narrative do you think in the writing for this format? I think because people are exploring there's got to be depth there and that's what's really exciting if you look at for example like a TV series like Westworld the depth of um, the world that they created um, is like incredible and the amount of characters and the amount of scenarios is actually a whole metaphor for the whole process anyway <laughs> and it's really cool um, and I think yeah when people are exploring and they are uncovering layers and then they go online and then they talk about you know these ideas or these theories and they help build up their own subcultures it's very interesting yeah. it's a great form of flattery when you get stuff, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure if you're right Myra I'm going to take you for a wine Yes. Uh, so we'll wrap this up. Before Ooh. we go, where can um, people stalk you via the internet? <laughs> um, Twitter's probably the best. It's at Myra Appiner. We'll put the link in the uh, box nearby. Oh, Amazing. in the bio. Um, thank you so much for your time. I'm just really excited to see what you do next. Great. Uh, I hope we meet again. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Myra. Bye. Bye.
So that was Jane's interview with Myra Appiner. I thought that was great. What an interesting person, right? I'm sure we'll see more of her in the future. Next up, Chris, you went to speak to Sarah Tico, uh, who we had, we hosted for a couple of shows at the Brighton Digital Festival this year. Really interesting. Hey, caveat, this is not narrative-based storytelling, but she's doing something really interesting with VR. And so we're creeping this in slightly to the podcast, but it's relevant in that you might find out more about the abilities of these immersive texts and how people are considering their possibilities in the future. It's all very exciting. Yeah, she's got a big story to tell and uh, she's very ambitious for this project. So this is me and Sarah now. So Hatsumi is a therapeutic virtual reality platform that I've begun developing that explores the kind of combination of uh, bodily experience and artistic expression. So it's actually drawn from an existing arts and health research method known as body mapping and it basically enables users to visually translate emotions and pain um, onto a life-size body and so what I'm doing is translating this into VR so now you can have a 3D avatar in front of you that you can scale to your proportions and translate specific experiences so for example anxiety or depression or joy um, using 3D painting tools so if you've used Google Tilt Brush before which um, then it's somewhat similar to that um, and the idea is that you can use this as part of therapy and so integrate it into existing therapeutic models and so you work with somebody um, to create this and then you can sort of have a discussion about it afterwards and so it sort of enables people that perhaps find it difficult to express how they feel about things which I kind of think is everyone actually um, and just you finding a new way of being able to communicate the experience and finding a way of connecting your brain and your body a lot more. You can then also consent to uploading it to an anonymous archive um, and anonymity is, is very important in this as well and so you can submit your creation and then an audio description of what you've created because it's not about somebody else's interpretation of your artwork it's about how you feel about it and what that represents for you. The project is being rolled out in three tiers, so there'll be the sort of therapeutic platform the therapist can use with their patients, and then there'll also be a research platform as well where um, academic institutions can explore specific experiences, and because it's digitally driven piece of technology, then finding ways of analysing different experiences, so for example like depression in young women, psychosis in people from sub-Saharan Africa and kind of finding out what are these similarities in the experience that people have and what are the differences and what can really unite people. So it's almost developing um, sort of an ethnography of human experience. That's absolutely perfect and there's your coffee, that's very good. Thanks. How did you first develop the idea or come across the idea that you've retooled into this VR tool? So it's been a bit of a journey to get here, actually. I was never particularly interested in VR or technology. But in 2014, I was on holiday and by myself, and I had a, I had a psychotic episode. And I had no idea what was happening at the time. I just thought that there was this kind of bizarre experience that I couldn't quite explain. And, uh, and I came back and I you know, spoke to some doctors when I, once I realised, you know, perhaps things aren't OK. But I found that experience of trying to communicate what happened really difficult because I didn't, I think the way that they'd interpreted my experience was very different to how I felt about it. And I really struggled with finding a way of communicating it. 
And then I moved away, went to Australia, and I was working. Um, I was working at TEDx Sydney actually, and I saw someone giving a talk about virtual reality, and I was like, wow, like what an interesting medium to communicate these experiences. And so I just Googled a lot of stuff basically, <laughs> and saw like what people were creating, and like some really interesting work that had been done using it in like clinical research and first-person storytelling and seeing the world through somebody else's eyes. And from there, I met this um, really fabulous woman called Catherine Boydell, um, the professor of mental health at the Black Dog Institute, which is like a mental health and mood disorders clinic in Sydney. And she's been really kind of pioneering and being up and driving forward body mapping for a long time. And, and we spoke about that, and I just thought, oh, this is such a fantastic idea, and didn't really think much about it. Um, she then introduced me to the director of this arts and health festival called the Big Anxiety Festival. And they invited me on as a virtual reality curator, so I put on an exhibition with them. And so whilst I was back out there working on the festival, then I've learned more about body mapping and I just couldn't stop thinking about it. It's just such a great thing to translate into VR. In February this year, then I moved to San Francisco for a little bit and so I was at a hackathon um, at Google Launchpad and... Um, I decided to pitch the idea and it won some awards and the rest has sort of been history. Where are you at now? We've developed a prototype. Actually, somebody that I met at the hackathon, he came up to me and was like, I really, I really love this idea. I think it's, you know, got legs and could go somewhere. I'd happily help you develop a prototype. So um, we got together with um, a hypnotherapist and somebody else that's also been um, working on a VR wellness company and we kind of made a prototype in a day. Um, so I've been sharing that with people but at the moment um, I'm fundraising, I'm speaking to a few universities about ways that we could collaborate um, and explore uh, how we could develop this together because I'm really pushing the fact that this needs to have strong clinical underpinnings and needs to go through trials and I really want to work with you know psychologists and therapists and doctors and having them involved in the conversation through the development is really important because there's no point making something that isn't clinically viable and then trying to you know push it into a health environment so um so that's kind of where we are at the moment and things seem to be kind of hopefully going places. There's so many incredible funds available at the moment. I think people are really starting to clock on to the fact that virtual reality and technology can actually have genuine sort of medical and social applications that's kind of beyond entertainment. And that's presumably why that drive to get the health side correct first has to be kind of a part of your underpinning. Yeah, absolutely. I've actually been very cautious to say this is going to be publicly available. I don't want it to be publicly available yet because I think the idea that, you know, encouraging people to reflect on what could be quite um, very painful experiences alone in your room or wherever you are in a VR headset could trigger a lot of stuff. And I think that psychological safety is really important as part of that, which is why my first intention is to develop it with universities and then um, trial it with therapists who are sort of facilitating it and making sure that there are sort of avenues for support along the way. But um, eventually when there is a public version available, then there will be those sort of structures put in place that means that you know there will be help available for people. 
What I really enjoy about this is it's very interdisciplinary and it has a lot of applications. I think it took me a really long time to decide what I wanted to do with my life because I was like, everything's interesting. How is it? How can you narrow something down? But I think being able to combine sort of healthcare and art and technology and, um, you know, being able to understand lots of people's different stories is really interesting. So there are different ways that it can go. So you'll be trialling Hatsumi at Stanford University? Yes, yeah, so at the moment they're only in formal trials and so what happened was I met um, the director of um, the Stanford Psychiatry Virtual Reality Immersive Technology Lab, bit of a mouthful, um, and she's really fabulous. She runs this consortium that invites lots of different people working in VR and healthcare in and so she invited me to sort of present on the on the project um, and was really supportive of the work and she was like at the moment I'm working with patients with functional neurological disorders so people that struggle to um, that have this disorder where they can't distinguish between the psychosomatic pain that they experience and real pain um, and so she was like if we could just trial the prototype with them it would be quite insightful for her therapies and so she's going to be working with them and they're going to be drawing their pain um, in VR and she's going to be facilitating that and kind of seeing what information she can draw from it which is quite exciting. How can people find you? Um, yeah so get in touch you can so my website is hatsumivr.com that's h-a-t-s-u-m-i vr Com, and then you can also reach me via email. My um, address is on the website, um, Sarah, with an H, at HatsumiVR.com. That's brilliant. Thank you very much. No worries. Thank you. Yeah, nice one. Yeah, you were fine. Sure, excellent. So that was uh, Chris's interview with Sarah Tico. You can find Sarah online at HatsumiVR uh, on Twitter. Really interesting stuff there, Chris. Thanks, James. <laughs> um, if you're enjoying Story Hacker, please give us a like and a nice review and maybe subscribe wherever you're listening to this now so that we're always dropping into your box. And you can find out more about the odd market, Tom Tech, and things like that, and more about this podcast at tomtechblog.com. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another interview. Nice one, James. See you later. Take care. Bye-bye.